Welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Menezes, and you are listening to The Art of Change, an educational podcast devoted to understanding how change happens at individual, systems, and organizational levels. This podcast has been developed by the Office of Community Engagement at McMaster University. If you are a student listening to this podcast as part of the Art of Change course, welcome to week 10. This episode is part one of a two-part series highlighting different approaches that Indigenous leaders have used to advance social change. In this episode, part one, we're focusing on community organizing, asking, how is creating space for conversation and education implicated in social change processes? How do community organizers maintain hope in the face of systemic forms of discrimination including anti-Indigenous racism? And what roles do relationship building, allyship, and social media play in community organizing as a form of social change? Our guest for this episode is Jordan Carrier, who has been actively involved in Indigenous advocacy and community work in Hamilton, particularly over the past year. In our conversation, Jordan will highlight some of the unique challenges and opportunities that she has faced as a community organizer, whose work has included creating space to grieve the trauma of residential schools and amplifying the work of those calling for the removal of the John A. MacDonald statue in Hamilton's downtown core. Jordan will also speak about the importance of passing lessons of advocacy and social justice onto future generations. As we begin this episode, Jordan introduces herself and discusses how her engagement in community has recently evolved from a place of listening and learning to active community organizing. Kansi, Jordan, Karyo, Nasikasban. My name is Jordan and I am Neheo Iskwayo, so I am Plains Cree. Uh, woman, and therefore I use she and her pronouns. I originally come from Treaty 4, which is located in southern Saskatchewan. So I was born and raised in Regina, Saskatchewan. I've been a member of Pipe First Nation, but I have been in Hamilton for the past 20 years uh, in the lands protected by the Dish of One Spoon Covenant uh, Wampum Agreement. I am a mom to twin 13 year old boys. I am currently finishing up a second degree at McMaster in Indigenous Studies. I have an undergrad also from Brock University in Aboriginal Adult Ed. Um, I wouldn't have considered myself a community organizer until recently. There's certainly lots of folks in the community over the past decade that have done um, numerous actions or public education or those different things. So I think over the most of the past decade, I've been more of a participant, a learner. It wasn't until the summer of 2021 that I started actually organizing community events, like from a grassroots level. I've worked in Indigenous orgs, in, specifically in Hamilton where we've organized community events and that's all really important, but I also acknowledge that it was sort of part of the job as well. Um, but when you live in your community and you work in your community, it's hard to define where your job ends and you're doing it as part of work, but it, it certainly wasn't until last summer that I started really organizing from a grassroots level. Jordan began organizing in the summer of 2021 following widespread news coverage of horrific details about unmarked graves at a residential school in Kamloops. As Jordan explains, her decision to take action was rooted in a desire to create space for people to come together and grieve. When the 
the graves, uh, the unmarked graves in Kamloops, um, when that announcement had come out, that I guess that, that's when I, I began to answer that call to, to support the community. I remember when the media release came out about the graves, it was like the Friday, I think. Um, I wasn't necessarily shocked to hear the news, like being engaged in this community. We knew these were things that were happened that happened in the residential schools. And I think I took a day or two to realize the magnitude that the rest of Canada was coming smack dab into the truth of that. And given the, we were in a provincial lockdown at the time due to COVID, suddenly I just sort of felt this like immense need to create space, mostly for Indigenous community members who were grieving, who were, that, that trauma of residential schools was being triggered all that was happening, as well as people, our, our friends and our neighbors, especially when I live in an urban setting, suddenly your neighbor is like, oh my God, what is happening in this world? <laughs> and they're like, we've been telling you this. And a friend of mine had texted me and she's like, we should do something. So we decided to create a space. And it was at that time that I was just, I just wanted to create a space for people to come together to begin, you know, to grieve, to, to let those emotions happen, to have access to ceremony if they needed, whether that's through, like through like indigenous ceremonies through smudging or drumming or just being together, especially during a time when COVID was keeping us apart. So I think that was just my response is like as a, a nurturing person, um, you know, I'm a mom, I'm the oldest of all my siblings. So I'm usually the caretaker. It was like, my community is hurting. Our allies are hurting. Everybody is really hurt. And I just wanted to create a space where we could come together and support each other through that hurt. Reflecting on her role as a caretaker has been central to Jordan's understanding of what it means to be a community leader. As she explains, creating space for grieving and conversation in the summer of 2021 was both a form of self-care and community care. That's how you know, how I cared for myself, like being that nurturer person, like ensuring that the others around me have what they need to go to, to a process, like like specifically when it came to the graves, like the, the hurt and pain they were feeling. But then even when it came to the point where I had community members and my friends in the community saying, you know, the statue of uh, Johnny McDonald downtown, that was really triggering for them and upsetting for them and they were really angry about it and they'd voice this to me and honestly I don't even go downtown very much so like as for me like it was a lot of like out of sight out of mind kind of thing but I was like okay but I have friends that are hurting what can I do to support them and so I'm like I can use you know my points of privilege which I mean as an Indigenous woman isn't a whole lot but at the same time I do I'm educated and I I can do use some of those tools that I have to where my friends and community are angry and hurting and not too sure where to go, I can help navigate these systems. I've learned how to access resources to delegate in front of city council or, you know, use my social media platforms to be like, if you want to consider delegating, this is how you do it. This is where you have to, you know, apply to delegate and you can send in a video. Like just ensuring that community has all the information that they they have. So I realized that I was resourceful like that as far as, you know, finding the information on how to do these things, even if I didn't know how to do them. And for me, it just, it fills me up to be able to be that conduit or that connector 
or you know somebody says this is really not okay with me and they don't have the capacity to do something about it then how can i elevate their message for them in a way that's comfortable for them her desire to support others was what prompted jordan to help create a community space in the summer of 2021 which was located at hamilton's battlefield monument the first set of graves that's when we decided and to go down to battlefield monument and uh, this just came out of a suggestion from another friend to choose that location. We actually tossed around a few, we even considered the, the Johnny statue, but at the same time, we wanted it to be more about healing than like protesting. So I think that's why we ended up with the Battlefield Monument, which it was just it's a beautiful piece of art, that monument there. Um, and we were just like, kind of, we didn't really plan, but, like, we're just like, let's go and put some shoes down. And then we went and did that and they're like, what next? And um and my friend was uh, Jessica Dempsey. She's the director of Sasha. And as soon as we're standing there, we have our kids. And <laughs> like, now what do we do? We're like, let's take some pictures and post on social media and invite people to come and join us. And I think we didn't realize how quickly shoes were going to start. Um, and we were just, we had a goal of having 215 shoes to represent each of the children from that first grave. And we said, what if more common? And I said to her, I was like, there's going to be more graves to come. So let all the shoes come that want to come. And by that end of that evening, we had close to 200 shoes. And I think we were like, it was like how quickly people started showing up to do this. We were like, people need this space. They want this space. Like people were really moved by it clearly. Uh, Twitter was like blowing up. People were hanging us in their photos as they were going. Um, and then we're like, we need to have a vigil. I think, and and we decided we, we made it happen. We called in a few of our other friends in the community and we just um, made it happen within 24 hours. Like it was really mind blowing because I've never actually done anything like that. So I didn't know what to expect. Suddenly, I mean, I was working at McMaster at the time and uh, the communications person at McMaster reached out to me because I guess news companies were contacting McMaster and they were tying it to McMaster. And the, he was like, I know you're not doing this on behalf of us, but I can help navigate some of the media. So <laughs> this is clearly an important message and an important venue. Uh, we had to leave with the police because we were in a provincial lockdown and, but we were like, this is happening. We, <laughs> please don't come and ticket people. And so one of our, Organizers helped to liaise with police to make sure that uh, we are also very aware that um, Indigenous people are targeted by police and we wanted them to feel safe at this gathering. As the day the vigil came, I was worried about the amount of people that were showing up. And I was like, I really hope that we can make this happen. We didn't have a sound system. We didn't have time to get a sound system. <laughs> like there was so much going on. But it ended up being such a beautiful event. People came, they brought gifts, they they had access. We made sure like we had traditional medicine. So if people didn't have medicines, they could access them there. We shared teachings about the medicines for people who didn't know anything about them. We had uh, women drummers come, we had a jingle dress dancer and it, the jingle dress itself is a healing dance. So she danced and, and to help all of us that were healing. And it was just such a beautiful event that created you know, connections and community support. I had talked with numerous people that had come, like non-Indigenous people that were like clearly moved. Like they were trying really hard not to cry to me as an Indigenous person. I think they acknowledged how inappropriate that would be, but you could see like the pain in their eyes as they were coming to terms with 
you know, the, the history that we have as shared people that like that share these lands. That was really like the feeling of that event and creating the space, I think really motivated me to continue to, to think about these types of spaces and not having it tied to, you know, organizations or this and that, and just creating space and community at a grassroots level. Reflecting on the transition from a participant and learner to a grassroots organizer in her community has prompted Jordan to recognize some of the unique responsibilities that come with being a leader, including the responsibility to act as a teacher to younger generations. I think um, specifically in Hamilton, as far as like organizing from Indigenous grassroots, over the years, I've noticed it sort of comes in waves. And I think that's because some of our biggest organizers are often from Six Nations, and sometimes I think they move back and forth. So if they're living in Hamilton, they're organizing in Hamilton, but if they move back to Six Nations and they're organizing in Six Nations or they're um, tied to um, land back or things like that. So um, as somebody who consistently lives in Hamilton, um, maybe it was time for me to help support that continued organization that happened. Um, And there's some traditional values and teachings that I've come to learn from, and that's like, the, the, the teachings of the seven generations. So we think of those that come before us and what they've given me. So over the years, I've received many teachings, many tools, many, my, a lot of knowledge. And I have a responsibility to share that and carry that knowledge. And I'm at a point in my life where I feel comfortable and confident in sharing that knowledge. And then we think of the generations to come. So, you know, I can mentor and show, you know, younger generations because eventually, it'll be my time to step aside and younger generations. And like I mentioned in my intro, I am a mom. So I have sons that have been born and raised in Hamilton. They're 13 and they've started to pick that up. And um, my, they're a little, they're, they're very different from each other. One is a bit more outspoken and one is a little bit more like he, he has a thought pretty shy. So they've already started speaking at rallies. They've gone in, involved with youth groups that do advocacy and social justice work. And so I, I see that that's the continuum that of the work I do is honoring those that have taught me and led me to this point to pick up the torch and carry it forward and then ensure that younger generations like my own sons um, and other youth in the community can continue this work. One important aspect of the continuum that Jordan mentioned is making sure that the Plains Cree teachings and values that she uses as a point of reflection are passed on to future generations, including her kids. I come from the Plains Cree Nation, um, and there are what's called the seven sacred teachings, which are actually really similar to the seven grandfather teachings of the Anishinaabe, which the most folks, especially because these are traditional lands of Anishinaabe people, they're basically like bravery and truth and honesty, um, courage, I can't remember them all off the top of my head or just like that. But these are the virtues that we sort of aspire. We do aspire, not sort of, we do aspire to live by. And so I always like to try to ground my work in that. And I instill it in my own kids and then hope that that sort of ripples out in community. And I know a lot of our own community members as well. We're very familiar with these teachings and that these are virtues that we aspire to and they guide who we are as people and we don't always live up to them 100 but we we use them as points of reflection okay how can I be braver how can I you know 
tackle this type of work more humbly or whatever it is that we need to do. And also similar between Anishinaabe and Cree principles, there's Mino Pawatmatsu in the Cree language. And I think Anishinaabe is Mino Bimatsuin. So it's really similar, but it means the good life. And it's, again, it's like continually trying to live that good life. In August of 2021, Jordan helped to organize an Indigenous unity rally in front of Hamilton City Hall. Among other things, the rally responded to City Council's refusal to remove a statue of John A. MacDonald in Gore Park, something that Indigenous community members and allies had been calling for for years. Following the rally, a group of people successfully pulled the statue down and were soon criticized by city officials. Jordan explains how this moment exposed systemic issues within Hamilton's municipal government. I find the the removal of the statue extremely frustrating. And I think it really speaks to the systemic issues that are within our municipal government. The fact that Indigenous community has been asking for years. You know, and I, I don't want to say I was leading because there was multiple people that worked together to try to amplify that again, this needs to happen. I just, I think I have more social media reach so often I get tied as like the leader, which I'm not, I just, it just happens. I, I'm just better at social media, I think, than other folks. I don't know. Anyways, we're, um, like this wasn't the first time we were, this is again, after the graves started to be found across this country, Indigenous community made it very clear how insulting and how hurtful it was to continue to have this statue here. I had listened to the community services meeting when uh, Councillor Nan brought it forward to let's remove the, the statue to support our to support indigenous community, and it was really appalling. Like, like it almost felt like it was laughable to some of the councillors. And of course, then I went to full council, and it was just like really disregarding indigenous citizens in this community and the allies that supported us with this call. And what I found the most troubling was the day that the statue came down and the mayor went on the news and said, this is not what reconciliation is. This is, you know, if Indigenous people want reconciliation, this is not how you do it. And in that statement alone, first of all, he accused Indigenous people of taking down the statue. When to my knowledge, it wasn't Indigenous people, it was allies that said, we're going to help. We're going to answer this call since the city won't. So he was already, you know, without an investigation, blamed Indigenous community. And then on top of that was defining what reconciliation is. And I don't think that that is his, his word to define when it comes to Indigenous community and reconciliation should be Indigenous community led. And he, in very one sentence, said something extremely problematic. So that was really troublesome for me. And I think what, where I have hope is that, you know, the many folks in this city, not just Indigenous people, have acknowledged what has been problematic with a municipal government like ours here in Hamilton, with the lack of change or, you know, lack of diversity the lack of people that understand the changing world that we're in the, and being socially accountable, that there's a lot of folks that are speaking out. So there's hope that hopefully with the next election that we can you know, see new counselors and potentially a new mayor 
with, with more progressive ideas of how to engage with communities differently and especially indigenous communities. And this morning I had recently just taken, well, a bit of a social media break, but I logged into Twitter really quick and I, I was catching up on a few things and, and saw that very recently, one of the counselors had an opinion about, you know, two organizations that work to combat systemic racism. And that's like the Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center and HCCI. And the counselor saying that they should not like it for HARP to get their funding. They should need to put this like they can't work together because HCCI is so critical. And I was like, what is going on in this world? Like, that is a huge issue. We should be creating partnerships and collaborating and working together. And those are great organizations that are commenting. But I think that really is a huge example of the systemic racism. Like how many organizations get put on a leash like that in order to get public funding to do the work that needs to be done. In addition to the structural barriers that Jordan has identified in municipal government, there are also barriers when navigating the pragmatic, on-the-ground concerns that come with community organizing. One of the biggest challenges I had, so for July 1st, we wanted to have um, a day that wasn't dedicated to Canada Day. Obviously, in the last year, um, there was whole, like, Cancel Canada Day events happening across the country. And although I 100% love, like, a Cancel Canada Day kind of thing, I've never, I haven't celebrated Canada Day myself, but particularly last year, But at the same time, I didn't want to do like uh, an aggressive protest against Canada, but again, create space for people to come together on the day, reflect, learn, build community. And that's when we had the Indigenous, the Hamilton Indigenous Community Day of Love. Um, And we wanted that with Sacred Fire. And as grassroots organizers going through the process of getting a fire permit without insurance or those types of things was actually really frustrating. And so I was really I had a few organizations that said, yeah, we'll do the insurance, but they didn't have like, you had to have like 5 million liability, but they were small, not for profit. So they didn't have that, that magnitude of liability. And eventually I was able to get um, through the Frenchie Center. They were able to help us out. So, but like just to have a ceremonial fire for people like in an urban space, um, the fire chief was really great in helping us work through and ensuring like even though we're supposed to have like so much notice, he was like, just as soon as you figure it out, just let me know, we'll get you the permit. Like he was really, really fantastic. So for grassroots organization and ceremony and what that looks like in a public space is really, really frustrating. And I think also when it comes to organizations in the city that are tied to city dollars, or this and that, sometimes they are afraid to engage with those of us that are a bit more critical and outspoken against some of how um, the city responds or reacts to various things. And I think there's that element of fear of their access to public dollars should they engage with us. In the midst of challenges, Jordan finds hope in conversations with friends and allies, as well as in tangible actions like seeing hundreds of people show up to an event that she has helped to organize. But thinking back to the continuum that Jordan mentioned, she also increasingly finds hope and inspiration from her kids. Definitely seeing my kids and what they've started to do. My son speaking at the rally that I was able to emcee 
support in support of what Suetan and he spoke for the first time. Um, him having difficult conversations with his friends about racism and and the indigenous racism specifically. That's the moment that gives me hope that knowing that you know they're going to continue this fight when I can't do it anymore or for the next you know hopefully 24 30 years we're going to do this fight together and um and we're going to continue to create change whether it's small or large we're, that it's going to keep happening our change always feels so so um just like with the statue like that was numerous years of asking city council to do the right thing and they never did it and if it wasn't for community i'm sure that statue would be still be standing and i think about so with the hamilton wetworth district school board recently the vice chair became a person who was anti-indigenous and, and was found in a report to say anti-indigenous things and now she is the vice chair of the board and my sons helped organize a protest at the board the night that she would have taken on the, her responsibility of chair. And that was like, it was great to see them doing that work. But again, I was like, why should they have to? It was already found that she was, you know, racist. Why is she getting a promotion? Like that was really troublesome. And to the point, and to this day, she's still vice chair. She's still <laughs> like, it's it, like that, it doesn't feel like the change is happening but I also know like I know there's many folks and allies within the school board that are you know doing great things and pockets of work everywhere and pockets all over the place and, and same with the city I continue to build relationships with Indigenous people in the city and non-Indigenous people I feel very fortunate to call you know somebody like Sarah Gemma one of my good friends and she does incredible work like she embodies what I think of as community care She's such a powerhouse and her and I have connected and organized together on several things. And so as slow as it, as it is, um, we gotta keep going at it because it is so slow and we have to be sometimes aggressive about it because if we don't, like if we back off and we give the system any slack, it's gonna keep staying the same every single person that lives on these lands now known as Canada benefits from the land displacement of Indigenous people, benefits from everything Canada has done to build what Canada is, um, has come at a cost for Indigenous people. And I think for our allies that, that there is some responsibility to first acknowledge that and then see what we can do because when we're defending land, um, and I and I say we, but I'm not the one on the front lines. There's other, I, I'm not on the front lines. Other people are on the front lines. So I mean mostly them. But when they're defending our lands and our waters, like that doesn't just benefit Indigenous people. That benefits every living being on these lands. And for I think too long, government has depended on pitting. Indigenous people against each other, putting Indigenous Black and racialized people, any like anybody that sort of doesn't fit that colonial narrative. And so I think that's where you know, where we need to unite. Like Wet'suwet'en, I've never been there. I've never even been in BC ever, but 
those lines are important. The, the indigenous people that are doing the work there are important. I have gone to land back lane and supported where I can that way, whether it's delivering firewood or attending their concerts and just showing up and being there, like those types of things. So having the a rally to support what Suetin Jose to see those folks while they're going through it um, can see that they have allies across the country. Um, and that rally specifically, you know, just uh, thinking the amount of people that showed up, we had so many organizations and labor folks and um, non-Indigenous people show up and say, we're, we're here, we understand these are, you know, issues for all of us to fight for, like we have a responsibility and how we can move forward, whether that's, you know, who do you vote for in any municipal, provincial and federal government? Like these are all examples of when, where we can learn about that and learn how we can invoke change and the pressure that we can put on government and all of these different levels to show that this is important for all of us and we need to respect the rights and the sovereignty of indigenous people. Jordan identified the importance of tools like relationship building and allyship when pressuring governments to make change. But what about tangible tools like social media? How do they factor into social change work? I think that technology and social media plays a huge role in how we can amplify and share messages. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of the things that are happening even within the Indigenous communities. We can film these things instantly. We can go live. We can share this information through social media. I mean, social media has its limitations. I know specifically we've had a few days on Instagram where we're amplifying about murdering and missing indigenous women and something in the algorithm screws up and our stories get deleted or this and that and Instagram I'm not too sure has ever responded but so there is some limitations in social media but absolutely we can send information very very quickly a lot of activists can use it to share information share education I know I've been able to create networks and allies within Hamilton just through my own social media in the past year when sharing education. And we were, I recently just made a post after sort of the whole Freedom Convoy started. And I didn't specifically talk about the, the Freedom Convoy, but I had shared some information about Indigenous food sovereignty and how food has been a colonial weapon and used to, um, you know, how starvation policies have been used to further displace Indigenous peoples from their lands and the fear that food and food shortage has been put into it. And so I just shared some pictures of my sons on the land and a big garden out in the Six Nations and this and that. And somebody was like, I didn't even, you know, make that connection between food as a colonial weapon and the message that this freedom conveys using, like, you're not going to have food and you need us. And I was like, let's support Indigenous food sovereignty because then we're gonna have food and we're not gonna need truckers to truck anything across this country, <laughs> you know? Even though, I mean, the whole trucker thing is a whole, like so much more to go to that, but that was just a small snippet of that, you know, that conversation and that education that can happen through a social media platform that invoked different thoughts. We have one minute left, which means it's time for a recap. In part one of this two-part series on Indigenous changemakers, we spoke with Jordan Carrier, learning about how various aspects of her identity as a mom, a Plains Cree woman, a caretaker, a learner, a teacher, and more, factor into her work as a community organizer. We learned about some of the challenges that come with community organizing, 
particularly in the face of systemic forms of discrimination. We also heard about the importance of recognizing that social change work exists on a continuum. Tune into part two of this series, where we will be speaking with Mumalak Kukkuk about the challenges that she has faced when advocating for social change within government as a member of parliament. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art of Change. For more information about this podcast or The Art of Change course, please visit community.mcmaster.ca.